TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go here on The Scoop Podcast. In the words of the late, great Paul McEnroe, a mentor of mine, a friend, a colleague, Mac was as good as it gets. He would say, pound the pavement, go find the story, get off your ass, work your ass off. I promise here on Scoop Podcast episode 300, I will live by his words. Cancer absolutely sucks. We were reminded again last week when Mac passed away at the age of 69. Rest in peace, Paul McEnroe. You were the best. I'll never forget at the University of Minnesota, I took multiple classes with Mac as my professor. First day of class, he handed out his cell phone number. He said, hey, if you guys ever end up in jail, I will bail you out. He hosted a year-end party at his house. He was then living in Golden Valley, eventually moved to Stillwater. But when he was living in Golden Valley, he had a bunch of us over at his house, beer on him. We had to line up designated drivers. But like what professor, what college professor hosts kids, students at his or her house and barbecues and serves them alcohol? And I mean, just being able to pick his brain. I mean, the obit in the Star Tribune was tremendous. His dear friend, another just tremendous professor, tremendous journalist, Chris Eisen, who is still a professor at the University of Minnesota, penned a great story at minpost.com about Mac. If you have a few minutes, either the Star Tribune story by Tony Kennedy or the Chris Eisen story, MinPost, check those out about Paul McEnroe. Mac, you will be missed. So I promise, at least on this podcast, I will work my ass off. And if there's a story to be had, You always said, go pound the pavement, right? Go knock on doors. Go find the story. The story isn't going to find you oftentimes. You need to go find the story. I don't know how many stories I'll be finding during this podcast, but if there's a story to be found, I promise I will find it. This is indeed Scoop Podcast episode 300, a nice milestone number. We've been doing the podcast four years strong. It began April of 2016. They haven't kicked us out of the studio quite yet. Probably one day, but not quite yet. It is Tuesday night the 9th of June, the year 2020. Let me empty out my figurative notebook, then I'll get to some conversations I had via Zoom over the last handful of days with Sean Johnson, Twin Scouting Director, Denard Spann, Carter Coughlin, and Billy Turner. On the notes side, let's start with Dalvin Cook. I do foresee the two sides eventually coming to an agreement. It might be in late July. We have many weeks to go. Yes, it's true that if he wants to hold out, if this thing goes into August, bleeds into August, that if he wants to keep holding out, he can't become an unrestricted free agent next March. He would be a restricted free agent based on the new collective bargaining agreement. So, yeah, it's true. Dalvin doesn't have a whole lot of leverage outside of the fact he is the face of that offense. In my opinion, that offense goes as Dalvin goes. Hey, many teams are a pass-first offense. It's the way the league has gone, but the Vikings are different. The Vikings go as Dalvin goes because it's a run-first offense. Yes, he has missed games, but when he is healthy – He is a top five running back. The Vikings' initial offer to Dalvin, I'm told, was actually less than what Melvin Gordon got from Denver. He signed for two years at $8 million annually. Now, I think it was in that ballpark. It wasn't significantly less, but the Vikings' initial offer was right in that vicinity, a little less than what Melvin got. 
Dalvin would happily take what David Johnson got two years ago from Arizona. David Johnson is now a Houston Texan, but in September of 2018, he signed a three-year, $39 million deal with Arizona. Now, do I think the Vikings get to that number? I guess I would be surprised. So I wonder if at some point here, the sides will get back together. Do they meet in the middle? Can they meet at three years, $30 million, or three years, $32 million? incentives built in including games played I mean durability is going to factor in in some form or fashion when the contract is done if it gets done I'm telling you I'm optimistic that eventually the sides come to an agreement that the Vikings think the world of Dalvin Dalvin wants to be here for the next few years I think the deal eventually happens the Vikings realize they have Dalvin at a steal of a deal for this year if he plays under the terms of his current contract, he'll make just north of $1 million, 1.2, 1.4, right in that ballpark, and he will be like the 35th highest paid running back in the NFL. The Vikings realize Dalvin Cook for 2020 cannot be the 35th highest paid running back in the league. So they are willing to do something. It's just a matter of the sides coming together. But make no mistake, the Vikings are going to have to budge. Also, if there's any narrative out there, somebody tweeted me this. In fact, multiple people tweeted me this, that there's some narrative out there that Dalvin is seeking Christian McCaffrey-type money, $16 million a year. I'm told that is false, that is inaccurate, that is incorrect. Dalvin is not looking to break the bank. He is not looking for a record-setting deal, but he is looking to get paid top five-esque money. So I just wonder if in the end, maybe it's not $13 million a year, but the Vikings go north of eight, get to eight figures, maybe it's $10, 11000000 million a year, and the sides come to a happy medium. Nothing new on the Anthony Harris long-term contract front. The Vikings still have about another five weeks before the deadline passes for them to sign Anthony to a long-term deal. If they don't agree to a long-term deal, he'll play under the terms of the franchise tag at just north of $11.4 million. Everson Griffin tweeted out a photo the other day. He looks to be in phenomenal shape. He remains a free agent. There's nothing new on the Everson Griffin front. I know some teams would like to bring him in for a visit, so whenever visits are allowed, which might be at some point, maybe right before training camp, if training camp start relatively on time sometime, in late July, I can see Everson eventually signing with the team, you know, closer to training camp, but nothing new on his front right now. I know Jeremy Fowler, who's a great reporter, he had a note a couple weeks ago about Arizona having interest in Everson. I was told it would be shocking, very shocking, if Everson ultimately ends up in Arizona. I would still look at Seattle, the two New York teams. Ron Rivera had some interest last year. You know, when Ron was was in Carolina, Ron now in Washington, so potentially the Redskins, the Cowboys have kicked the tire. So he'll have some options. Heck, if, if it worked out, sure, the Vikings would have some interest. There's just no momentum in that regard when it comes to Everson possibly reuniting with the Vikings. Everson is represented by Athletes First. Athletes First had a Zoom call earlier this week. In town, they have Anthony Barr, Anthony Harris, Harrison Smith, Kyle Rudolph, Everson Griffin. Although Everson may be a former Viking soon enough, but still resides here in town. Carter Coughlin of the Giants, Kamal Martin of the Packers. Most of those guys were on the Zoom call. It was all about athletes first forming an alliance coming up with ways to combat social injustice and racism. On the NBA draft front, Tyrell Terry, DeLaSalle High School, Stanford University. He will decide right at the August 3rd deadline. His Zoom calls continue. He's pretty much had a Zoom interview slash meeting with everybody that picks between pick 16 
and 30. That does include the Timberwolves. Zeke Naji is in Vegas, Hopkins High School, Arizona Wildcats, the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. Heck, if he didn't win it, maybe Tyrell Terry would have won it, or maybe Nico Mannion of Arizona. But Zeke Naji, the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, he is training in Vegas. He will be in Vegas for a while. He'll be in Vegas pretty much until the draft, which is many months away. He's training at Impact Basketball. They train a number of guys, including Kyle Lowry. I mean, they train a number of NBA stars. So Zeke Naji is getting very good tutelage. He had an interview today with the Atlanta Hawks, so he is now interviewed with the Hawks, the Wizards, the Hornets, the Pelicans, the Jazz, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Bucks, the Spurs, the Raptors, the Bulls, and Nuggets. I was with Jalen Noel, Wolf's second-round pick from a year ago for a future TV story. I was with Jalen at a park on Friday. We spent a bunch of time together. He's a great young man. That's the first time I've really been around him in an extended presence. You would never know he's 20 years old. You would also never know that he's an introvert. He terms himself an introvert, but he cut open some veins. I'll bring that conversation to you on a future podcast. He is now back in his hometown of Seattle, but wants to get back here at some point during the summer for workouts. I can tell you that the eight teams not invited to Orlando, so that includes the Wolves, teams like the Warriors, the Cavs, the Pistons, the Bulls. It's eight teams that were not invited to Orlando. They are all talking. They are talking collectively. They all want to be in unison, in lockstep, with some sort of plan. They're all on board with some sort of mandatory minicamp. Now, would it be mandatory for free agents? Probably not. But guys under contract for next season, that it would be mandatory, that the league would say these guys have to come in for a mandatory minicamp at some point during the summer. I know some teams are pushing for some games. We'll get some clarity. Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders are expected to address us reporters at some point, possibly as soon as Wednesday, sort of a season wrap-up Zoom call. So maybe we'll get a little bit more clarity. But I do know that the Wolves are pushing for at least, bare minimum, some sort of mandatory minicamp. But the Wolves very well could be on board with some of the other teams saying, yeah, let's get some competitive games in as well. On former Eden Prairie High School star, the former Nebraska Cornhusker, J.D. Spielman, Rick Spielman's son. Let's just say this. He is now in the transfer protocol. The school confirmed that on Monday. Let's just say there is mutual interest. Him in being a gopher, the gophers in having J.D. Spielman. Let's see how it plays out. But there is mutual interest. On Booth Gotch, the Austin, Minnesota native, the former Utah Ute double-digit scorer for the Utes last year, he wants to play on the ball. I'm told by a mentor of his, he wants to play more on the ball. Well, the Gophers are willing to offer that. They would use him in some ways like they used Amir Coffey a couple years ago. Iowa State is also selling him on that. So he's got his final five. I would say from what I can gather, he's still in the decision-making process. He actually has an attorney working on his behalf to get a waiver so he can play immediately wherever he lands next year. I think it comes down to, from what I can gather, the Gophers and Iowa State. The Gophers remain in daily contact on Booth Gotch. The next couple days bring us the Major League Baseball draft. Max Meyer, Woodbury native, the Gophers pitcher, Well, he's going to go in the top 10. The latest steam is, or at least the team in the top 10 doing the most homework over the last week, is the Royals at pick four. Now, do I think he goes pick four to the Royals? I guess I would be mildly surprised, but I'm telling you, my steam is he doesn't get out of the top 10. The Padres like him at pick eight. The Rockies like him at pick nine. The Blue Jays at pick five have done a ton of homework on Max Meyer. So I see him going in the top 10. Max Meyer 
if he ends up going in the top 10, like I foresee, the Gopher baseball program has been around top of head. It's like 132 years. It's over 130. I believe the number is 132 years. The Gophers have never had a pitcher go top 10. So Max Meyer will set history on Wednesday night. Also, going back a number of years, I mean, Joe Maurer is the last Minnesotan to go in the top 10. That was 2001 when he went first overall to the Twins. So it's been 19 years since a Minnesota native, a Minnesota player, has gone that high in the Major League Baseball draft. So lots to celebrate with former Scoop Podcast guest. We'll have to get him on a future Scoop Podcast, Max Meyer. Trent Palmer is a Ramsey native. He pitched at Anoka High School. He now pitches for the University of Jacksonville. Had a good run last summer in the Cape Cod League. The expectation is he does get drafted, maybe more so rounds four or five. There's like, what, 160 picks, give or take. You know, he may go pick 140 or pick 150. But the likelihood is that he does get drafted, that there is steam that Palmer will be the other Minnesotan to get drafted over the next few days now don't look for it to be the twins I'm told the twins will not be selecting Trent Palmer but the Yankees the Red Sox in fact the entire American League East has done a ton of homework on the Ramsey native let's keep the Major League Baseball draft theme going I caught up with Sean Johnson via Zoom on Monday afternoon here's my conversation with the twins draft boss his official title scouting director this will be his fourth draft in charge he runs the room he has final say he gets to make the pick the twins have picks what 27 58 129 and 159 they gave up a pick to sign josh donaldson they also traded a compensatory pick for kenta maeda so they could have had six picks in this draft they have four picks sean johnson has final say in the draft room here's my conversation from monday afternoon with sean johnson Finally, right? Like, this is the week. Like, we're down to days. We're down to hours. It's been one heck of a process, a unique and atypical process. Just how much are you looking forward to finally Wednesday getting this thing rocking and rolling? Yeah, we're, we're really excited. Obviously, it's been a long time coming. It's felt like uh, uh, at least a year ago when we met in January to prep for this spring. So it's been a long spring, um, to say the least. But, you know, the, the good thing is that we've we feel like we used our time well the last few months we've been home. We've been off the road for three months and uh, have found a lot of new ways to get to know players and maybe get to the finish line a little differently on the evaluation since we can't see them live. Um, so I, from that perspective, we feel like we know these players better than really any year in the past um, from background perspective. Uh, makeup perspective um while there's less things to evaluate from a, a performance standpoint uh we feel like we know the players in our in our mix in, in the first few rounds uh really well we've connected with uh over 50 guys on zoom and our in our top 60 um and uh, we've done a lot of talked to a lot of college coaches um across the country just to try to fill in the holes that we might have had on a few players and and we feel like we've done that. So we, we, we're ready to go, and, and we feel good about it. Then on the field, I mean, you scout these guys going back. I mean, we're talking in some cases multiple years, right? So don't get me wrong. You would have preferred to have seen guys on the field the duration of March, April, May, here into June. But truth be told, right, Sean? I mean, you have the book on, on all these guys, even the high school guys. You know, whether it was you or an area scout, you've pretty much seen all these guys at least once in person. 
Yeah. Um, it, it, there's no substitute for getting a lot of looks in the spring and, and it kind of helps you put one guy ahead of another on the, on the draft board come June. But uh, you're right. We've seen, you know, the college guys, we've known a lot of those guys since high school, their junior summers. So we've known them for a long time and the high school group's a little trickier. You get usually a year to, to get to know those players. We didn't get to see a, a couple of them play uh, in the Northern States uh, where the weather wasn't right to, to run up there for a day yet. So, uh, but to your point, we, We've seen some of these guys before in the past, a lot in the summer. Uh, so we have pretty good, a pretty good pulse on who the player is now. Stacking them uh, on top of each other is a little trickier because you don't have full springs to uh, pull from your opinion. And on our analytics side, we don't have that full spring to weigh and measure. So that part's a little tricky to navigate, but our conversations the last few days as we prepped for this draft have been engaging, uh, informative. We're looking at a player from uh, every perspective possible. It's kind of been an all-hands-on-deck approach. I'd say we've had more than 50 members of the Twins who've had some opinion from Rocco Baldelli uh, all the way down. We've had people jump in and give their opinions, and, and we feel good about the, the amount of volume of opinions that we've been able to generate off of video and um, you know, TrackMan data, things like that. Thank goodness for technology, we've been able to measure some things that, that we might have just been guessing on in the past, and, and that's been really helpful as well. How about specific examples on maybe something you guessed on in the past that, that now you're able to nail down? Well, uh, you know, <clears throat> with, with TrackMan, you can really um, – if, if you think a guy's uh, really hitting the ball hard and really has power, you can kind of measure – you can see what the player's actually done from a miles-per-hour perspective. Um, guessing on, you know, pitches that you might have thought a pitcher had, how, how things played, if the guy had a flat fastball or a playable fastball. We can usually turn to the, to the uh, technology to, to – it usually matches up with the visual. But this – and now, nowadays you can really use it to, you know, double-check your opinions and make sure that they marry up, which is really our sweet spot now. It's interesting that you mentioned Rocco. I mean, I have to imagine, like, last year – how involved was Rocco, but with everything going on, I mean, he's got time, so why not utilize that, that intellect, right? I mean, why not pick his brain on some of these guys? Yeah, that's the thing we found is, you know, a lot of people have a little more free time than normal in the baseball world. So, um, again, back to the college coaches, we've talked to all of them. They're, they're dying to talk baseball just the same way we are. But, yeah, Rocco usually has bigger fish to fry come draft time, but um, he's a little more available and, and he has a strong scouting background before he got into managing. So he loves it. Uh, Wes Johnson loves it. Yeah, everybody in our, in our stadium here is into the draft and wants to chip in and participate. So that's really my job is to make sure all those voices are heard. And we, we look at the player from every perspective we possibly can. And we've got a lot of talented people and with great opinions and expertise and, and we make sure we don't uh, miss out on that. On all those Zoom conversations, 50-plus, on, on all the coaches you've talked to, do you have some character red flags next to guys that maybe – or maybe more so this year compared to others where you have gotten to know these guys maybe on a, on a more intimate level than ever before? So now you have the psychological background on a lot of these guys. So, you know, do you have some character red flags on some guys? Um, we – well, before we dug into the Zoom part of the spring where we were on we were on calls all day long with players, 
you know, we're really guarded against bias and, and very aware of those things. Um, so you don't want to, <clears throat> we talked about not over uh, uh, underreacting to the things we see on a Zoom call. Not every player is good in that scenario. It's kind of a new thing. And most players came off as pretty comfortable there in that setting, but not every player is wired to do well on that. Um, so we kept that in mind. We don't want that to overcome what we think about the player as a competitor on the baseball field uh, where it really counts. So we've kind of just used it as another piece of information. I don't think we're going to throw a player out because of how the 30 minutes call went, but we can marry some of those pieces up with, with a good call and a good background check and what we've seen in person. And when those things line up, we feel good about taking that player. Nobody would reverse. I don't think any fan, anybody in the organization would reverse landing Josh Donaldson and Kenta Maeda. But because of those additions, you went from the potential of having six picks to four picks. Does your strategy at all change with, with just four picks? Uh, I don't – not tremendously. Uh, obviously, having those extra two picks gives us more flexibility uh, if you want to get creative with your, with your dollars. But in a five-round draft – it's really hard to do that. So I, I don't think it really changes our approach. It's still going to you know, take the best player available. Who do we like the most when it's our turn to pick? That's been the same adage forever. Uh, I know some teams may focus on a college pitching or high school hitters, and we don't do that. We, 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 we put them all together, and we decide who we like the most, who our group collectively likes the most, and, and what fits best for the Twins, and that's, that's the direction we go. My money is on you taking a college pitcher at pick 27. How much, how much of a bet you want to wager there? <laughs> Lunch, dinner. I mean, restaurants are now open starting on Wednesday. That's so right. You name That's the right. wager. I mean, certainly yeah, you could uh, go that direction, right? I mean, there are some pitchers that are going to be in that ballpark of, of pick 27. For sure. Uh, and that's this draft has kind of been uh, marketed as a one that's extremely deep in pitching. We see it that way. Um, you know, so we'll see who's available at 27, 59. Um, I think there's enough depth that there'll be options at both picks. I mean, I suppose uh, 27, I mean, so many things could happen before you. Like I'm saying I'd bet on a college pitcher, but what if a certain high school infielder falls or, or whoever it might be? That's where it's probably hard to predict, right, when, when you're picking so deep in the draft. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've picked in the 20s a, f a few times in recent history. Obviously, 2018 was the last time. And you learn that it, there's a lot of things that are going to happen in front of you that you can't control the board. You're kind of at the mercy of how the board falls. And especially in a, a shortened truncated season, anything could happen. No one's had a chance to move up. Guys haven't had a chance to move down. So anything goes, we'll be prepared for however it shakes out. Um, there might be that high school player that, that falls down the board because, you know, a team didn't have 10 guys see the player play the spring. Um, I don't know. There's some guys who were established first rounders, especially in that high school market, that will still go in the first round. They're clearly the, in that top tier of players. Now there's, a, a, there's that second tier that didn't get a chance to make that move because they didn't get a season. So um, when, when, you know, obviously we've never been here before, but I'm expecting a lot of variance on boards across the industry. And uh, we feel good about that. Picking in 20, at 27, uh, we might be surprised there. So on that variance, I mean, do you just laugh at some of these mock drafts? I mean, seemingly the, the main mock drafts the last few days have you taking this pitcher from Texas Tech, but do you just laugh at those mock drafts because 
there is just so much uncertainty that mock drafts maybe even more so than ever just don't mean a thing? Uh, I, I don't laugh at them, but I don't lose sleep over what we see in those. I usually I recommend, you know, we look at the signal of if a player appears in four or five or six different mocks, there's a pretty good signal even without information because there's some there's some guys who put more that put those mocks together, spend a little more time than others. But uh, when you see a guy that appears in all five or six or however many you want to look at, um, they, that player usually holds up. Now, this year, the mocks are all over the place. There's guys that aren't on a few mocks that are at 15 on a different one. So we don't spend a ton of time on that. We obviously look at them all. Uh, it creates conversation for our group. But our focus, especially the next couple of days leading up to the draft, is let's keep our eyes on our board and control what's what what we can control is your board officially set as we're talking here at 2 30 on monday afternoon is your board officially set no we we've uh we've stacked a good amount of players probably half as many as we normally do uh but we wanted to make sure we had beyond the amount we would ever need in any, any scenario so right now we're going back through uh we'll spend a lot of our time between now and the draft um looking at those first two picks making sure that feels right, having last-minute discussions. And these are really the funnest discussions we have because, you know, guys' passion comes out about a certain player and there's disagreements. And we see – we like to see it both ways. We encourage that because we're just trying to get to, the, get to the truth and the sweet spot of how we feel about the player. And that takes a collective passionate argument discussion. Um, and we have that every year, and guys look forward to that. And then, you know, at the end, um, draft night, we – we, we make picks and we, and we move on, we live with them. And, and, uh, but we feel good about our process. And I, I want guys to feel like they had a, a, a say and an opinion and they were heard. And then we make a decision to move on. It's really, it's gotten easier for me. This is year four, uh, not trying to make everybody happy. I learned year one that that's impossible uh, to make that many people feel good about a pick. So um, again, trying to do what's, what the what the room wants to do or, the, or find the consensus between uh, our opinions and then also what the analytics tell us the things we, we bring in um, we want those to marry up that's really been uh, I think we've as we've settled in here as a group we, we really believe that that's that's where we are going to do our damage is when those things line up and it's not just the scouts it's not just the numbers we bring those things together we think we can make great decisions so you have the book on everyone like there's this this high school pitchers is from, correct me if I'm wrong, Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania, that, that maybe some teams don't have anything on. But, you know, whether it's him, whether it's, it's another athlete, like you have information on every single guy imaginable? Yeah, you get them from all different ways. Uh, Nick Bisco, I think you're referring to, um, you know, we saw him pitch at one event last year, and he hadn't reclassified at that point. And then we thought he might because – He's not a terribly young player. He's going to be average age for this group. So uh, we expected that might happen, and it did. Um, so we have limited information on him. We haven't, we didn't get to see him this spring, um, but he's extremely talented. Um, now where he goes on the draft, I uh, don't know. Well, to be determined. We talked about Rocco. We talked about Derek, guys having more time maybe than ever to, to have their fingerprints all over this draft. Can you speak about Mike Radcliffe? It's out there, Sean. Peter Gammons put a note out there with, with everything that Mike's going through. I mean, he's been in this organization since 1987, give or take. I mean, he's been around forever. He's as yeah. good as it gets. I mean, just everything he's going through. 
just what does it say that, that he still is as heavily involved as he is with, with the draft? You know, I mean, heck, you would understand, right, if, if he said, I'm out, right? Like, I got to focus on my chemotherapy, you know, just everything going on health-wise. I, I got I to gotta take a pass on this draft. But just knowing Mike Shard, sure. and you know him well, too, like, that, that isn't Mike. That's not in his DNA. So I guess it's probably not surprising <laughs> that he's, he's all hands on deck when it comes to this draft. Yeah, he's he's a super resilient man. He's uh, a mentor to everybody in our room. Um, so he means a lot to a lot of people. Um, and so the fact that he's been around and in, engaged and involved has meant the world to all of us. So, um, you know, he's obviously he's battling a lot of stuff, but his mind is working at a high level and he's sharp as a tack as always. And he's engaged and he wants his opinion in there. I, I obviously want it. We all want his take on it because he always has a great perspective on things always has. So uh, he's been a trooper. He's been on all our zoom calls um, that we've done. Um, and I think one of the silver linings of this spring, not being on the road is being able to see him every day when we meet on the zoom calls, it's been you know probably the best thing that's happened, you know, under the circumstances. That's fantastic, Sean. Do you think we'll ever get to the day where, like, say you wanted Max Meyer really badly, right? We've talked about Max, right? The slider, the fastball, and heck, he's not getting to pick 27. We know that. Like, would you like to see the day where if you really wanted a player, you know, you had to give up multiple prospects, a future first-round pick, whatever it might be, that, that you'd have the ability to jump up and get said player? Yeah, I think they've talked about, you know, if we could trade picks, that might make it a little more entertaining and uh, uh, of, a, of a process. And um, who knows if that'll ever happen or, or not, but uh, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you know, it does add some more drama to things, but that's a great question. Um, obviously, you'd have to really be sure about uh, how you felt about a certain player to to want to give up you know, we're going to have to look at, that's the whole other thing probably for our R and D group to measure if that's worth doing and all those things. So I'm not saying it'll never happen. It certainly could. And, and to be able to tap into uh, guys like Max and, and other players at the top of the board would always be uh, at least something worth, you know, worth pursuing. And on Max, I mean, you think he's got, he's got an incredibly bright future. We've talked about him before, but just to reiterate, I mean, the sky's the limit to use the cliche when it comes to Max. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I think, like we talked about maybe before, he, he got off to a great start. His stuff is as arguably as good as any pitcher on the board in this draft. Um, we know he's an, a great competitor with his hockey background. We've obviously known him forever. Um, tremendous kid, tremendous competitor, uh, super athletic, and he's got great stuff. So he's got great ceiling, um, great probability as a, as a major leaguer. I think that's why you'll see him go off the board pretty quick. Um, be surprised if he's anywhere near our pick coming up uh, this week. I'll hit you with two more. Trent Palmer is a pitcher from Anoka High School, the University of Jacksonville. I think he has a chance to get drafted. I guess what what can you tell me about Trent? I mean, how much is he on your radar? Um, I don't believe he's in our radar on the in the first five rounds. You know, again, you're seeing a lot of guys like him who would have gone somewhere naturally past the fifth round probably. And if he goes in the first five, I, I, I don't know that for sure, but um, there's so many guys that, and we talked about them in the last couple of days, guys that we'd love to have. Now, is it worth taking that player in the fifth round to make sure we get them? Um, that's a whole other conversation because there's a lot of guys in that range of the draft. So, and, and, and really, the expect, we forget about the expectations of the players. There's 
there's 500 players that think they're going in the top 160 this week. So there's always disappointment with those players for a lot of different reasons. And, and um, hopefully he's not one of those, but uh, I'm not sure where he's going to go. That was the last angle I was going to hit you on. I mean, what, what's it going to be like, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, as you guys undoubtedly are going to recruit players that, that didn't get drafted, trying to convince them to sign with you guys for, for the 20 grand? Yeah, we've, we've looked at it from a lot of different lenses. We're not sure with that, how deep that pool is going to be. We're not sure how many teams are going to be competitive in that um, under the, circ- the circumstances with finances and all those things. Um, but we certainly want, we feel like we're going to be aggressive. We're going to put our best foot forward. Uh, you know, we feel like we've got the, the best player development department in the industry. We've built it up. We have people that can help players that will need that help. You know, if you're past the fifth round, there's something in your game that will need addressed and need to make a jump uh, somewhere. And we think we can do that. So um, we're going to, we'll be aggressive. We're going to put our best foot forward, like I said, and, you know, we've got a, a a plan for that and other teams have different plans too. And we'll see how that shakes out, but we we hope to sign a few guys at least in that range. And, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine you guys are, you said it, Sean, I mean, well positioned. I mean, you laid it all out. Like what's, what's that recruitment going to be like? Like, do you guys have like a virtual video you're going to send to prospects? I mean, I guess what's that process going to be like and how grateful are you? It's not like the NFL where NFL draft finishes and it's a free for all. It's hurry up, get on the right. phone, call this agent, call that agent, where you guys are going to have, what is it, 72 or 96 hours where, where there's some time in between when you can start recruiting these guys? Yeah, so it's basically um, Friday, Saturday will be kind of the quiet period where players can uh, essentially opt out if they do not want to be pursued um, Sunday morning going forward. And they have we have a long – a big window to actually sign those players. But um, – yeah, we've got time to figure out our targets and give those players, you know, the information, connect with them on the different levels. Now, I don't know what, what you know, if they're going to call from Rocco or Wes or certainly people from our player development department. Uh, we, we've got some different types of uh, video and, and things we're going to send the player likely and also just basically inform them of, you know, these are the things we have. These are affiliates. These are the, you know, the success stories we've had in the past few years um, and probably some more personalized thing as well. And so again, unsure of the, the strategies of other teams, but um, we feel like, you know, we, we've got, we're counting on our relationships that our area scouts have with, with the player, our relationship with agents, maybe able to help us there too, because the agents have a good feel for what we bring to the table, what we're doing, where we're going. Um, so we're counting on a few things to help us out and, and we'll see how it shakes out. That was Twin Scouting Director Sean Johnson. Let's continue the baseball theme. I caught up a few weeks ago, but never had a chance to replay it here on the podcast. I caught up with former Twins outfielder Denard Spann at 36 years old. All signs point to him being officially done in Major League Baseball. Here's my recent conversation with Denard. Just life. I mean, I think about all that's happened. I mean, just following you on social media, I mean, we last saw you here in the Twin Cities, what, I guess it would have been after the 11 season you got traded to the Nationals? Maybe 2012. Season. Yeah, 12. 2012 was my last year with, with uh, the Twins. Yeah, so, okay, so, I mean, in the eight years since then, a lot has happened both, you know, professionally and personally. Yeah, it, it has, man. I, I obviously ended up getting 
traded to Washington. So I spent three years there. And then uh, after those three years, th three really good years, I uh, signed with uh, the San Francisco Giants on a three-year deal. Was there for the first two years. And then I ended up getting traded right before my, my last year on that contract. And uh, I ended up coming home to Tampa and played for the Rays for, for two months. And then I ended up getting traded all the way out to, to Seattle for the remainder of that season. And um, that season ended. And I thought that uh, I was going to get some more love in the free agent market. I had uh, had a lot of had a lot of offers, but just not the right offers. The, uh, didn't have the the right offer that I felt like would uh, take me away from my family, and uh, ended up obviously getting married in, in 2017 as well to a, to a, to a Minnesota girl, and and now we have two little boys. That's fantastic. I mean, yeah, you married a gopher, right? Yeah, a, a girl from St. Cloud, right? I can't get away from Minnesota. And, I mean, she was one heck of an athlete. I mean, she helped the Gophers win a national championship, Team USA. I mean, how cool is it to be married to a, to a you know, fantastic athlete? It's, I mean, it's awesome. I think that's one of the things that connected us aside from um, the, the, the number one thing that, that connected us, which was our faith in God. But uh, secondly, after that, you know, came the reason uh, – came – came for uh, just the reason that we could connect just from uh, just being two athletes. We, we spoke the same language um, in, in, in that aspect. And, uh, you know, just so far it's been a joy uh, just being able to just be competitive each day in, in the household. Like we're always, uh, you know, just going at each other in, in, in a loving way, of course. But um, she just reminds me so much of my time in the Twin Cities and the state of Minnesota as well. And home base now is, is back there in Tampa? Yeah, yes, yes. Both of us, we, uh, we live here and, and raising our two boys here. How has fatherhood changed you? Oh, man. I don't have as much time to myself. Um, I, I've definitely um, been more patient than I normally was growing up. I've always kind of been a guy that wants things right now and, and, and having two boys that, you know, that teach you a lot about yourself. And um, so I think just patience and um, yeah, those things, just, just patience in my time has, has changed a lot over the last two years. On those offers you got, I guess, going back, what, 16, 17 months, I guess it would have been what the, after the 18 season heading yeah, into the 19 season, season. Yep. Yeah, that off season. I mean, were those, were those minor league offers? Is that what you're, you're pointing at that you didn't actually have a major league offer and it just, it wasn't tempting to sign a minor league deal. That's not true. No, I had uh, I actually ended up having about three major league offers, and then the rest of them were. I had, then I had a gang of minor league offers, but um, I, yeah, I definitely wasn't interested in signing a minor league contract. You know, I come off of a healthy season, pretty productive season. You know, I, I, I was hitting. I think I was hitting third, third or fourth almost all year when I was in Seattle. So you know, how, how do you go from you know, being in the, in the heart of a lineup, a good lineup, to all of a sudden now you're a minor league a guy trying to make a team. Like, I didn't think that – that don't even sound right to me. Wasn't like I was, you know, riding the pine. Um, so that, that was out of the question. But, uh, like I said, the other, the other major league offers that came my way, it was not what I felt was, uh, you know – it, it wasn't it wouldn't what I felt I was worth. And, like I said, I was not going to sacrifice that at this point in my life now – you know, having a wife and two boys, you know, if, if I was going to go play baseball, it was going to have to be for what I was worth to uh, make sense for that sacrifice. 
Are you now done? Are you retired? Have you filed the paperwork? Or if the phone rings, would you answer? I have not filed the paperwork, but in my heart, I'm done. Um, I, I made another attempt this past offseason to, to get back in shape. And uh, I, I held a workout here in Tampa and probably had about 10 teams that were down here just to watch me move around and take batting practice. Uh, performed well. Um, obviously not playing in 2019. I, I knew that a minor league offer was probably going to be my avenue. And, and I had kind of come to terms with, it, with, with that. But it still had to be the right minor league contract. It still had to be, you know, under the right circumstances and stipulations. And, and I, I had uh, two, two minor league offers that just didn't meet what I felt once again that um, it just didn't meet my standards, basically. And so I, I decided to turn those down. And, and uh, I would say, yeah, now in my heart, since spring training started, I, I would say I, I've been retired. You touched on that lineup in Seattle. You were teammates with current twin Nelson Cruz. What was it like playing with Nelson? Awesome. Just just watching him uh, hit on a daily basis is a, is a, is a treat, man. He um, just one of the best hitters that I've, I've ever seen, honestly, uh, on an everyday basis. Um, you know, he's just he's just a stud. And then I think about, you know, looking at the at the current Twins roster, Sergio Romo is another name. Yeah. You would have been teammates yeah. with D.O.R. in, in San and Francisco. San Francisco oh, and in Tampa. And we played together in Tampa as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as unique a personality as there is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely one of a kind, but just a genuine ball uh, – a genuine guy, genuine ball player. Um, he has a, a heart that's about as big as, you know, this this computer screen that I'm, that I'm talking – talking to you through um, just just a fierce competitor a guy that is small in stature but but uh, not afraid of anybody and that's what makes him so good every time he touches that ball you know he uh, he, he goes out there with a vengeance and and uh, believes that no matter how big you are he you know he, he, he understands that he doesn't throw hard but he has some balls on him. when I bring up the twins organization I mean I guess what what sort of special place in your heart you know, does Minnesota represent the organization that drafted you, you know, oh, yeah. that, 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 you know, you came up and, and it took a while, right. It even took a while for you to sign, yeah. you know, then you sign and then it was multiple years, you know, fighting, scratching, clawing. You eventually get to the majors. You make your major league debut here. You're unbelievable in 09 in 10, you know? So, I mean, I have to imagine Minnesota means just a lot to you. It does. It does. It, it will always hold a special place in my heart. Um, just for the simple reason of they, they're the team that drafted me. They're the team that, you know, believed in me first and gave me the opportunity um, to pursue my dream. And, you know, I experienced over 10 years of wearing that uniform, and they were 10 of the best years that I could ever imagine. Um, and then, you know, obviously spending six years in the minor leagues, like you said, and uh, four and a half to five years in the major leagues, uh, was just some of the best times that uh, I've ever experienced, and um, especially the fans as well. The fans have uh, just showed so much love you know, to me over the course of my career while I was in Minnesota, and then after I moved on, I still still stay in contact with a lot of a lot of Twins fans. Team wise, I mean, just unfortunate that you guys ran into consecutive years the big bad Yankees, and I guess even specifically ten like. You guys won a ton of games that year. It was 90-plus. I mean, 09 was a good season, too. But yeah. that 10 team with, with Jim Tomey coming aboard, some yeah. of the other changes, I mean, that yeah. team was so good. You guys won, I think yeah. it was 94 games. But then 
snap of the fingers, the Yankees eliminated you guys. Yep. They, I mean, I feel like if you're going to get eliminate, eliminated by, the, by a team, at least it's the team that ended up winning the World Series. And that just shows, obviously, how great they were of a team. But I think in all my years that I was there, that 2010 team was a team that I felt like uh, we had the best chance to, to take it all the way. But obviously, you know, we came up short. I think, I think maybe if we would have played a, a different team in the first round and, and maybe met the Yankees in the, in the second round or the ALCS, I think maybe it might, might, would have been a little bit different. But um, it was just a tough draw for us that year. Yeah, I mean, maybe a best of seven would have helped your guys' chances a little bit more than a best of five. But, I mean, I just think about just the totality of that year. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I was there. It was an exhibition game against the Cardinals. I believe you hit the first home run in target field history. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, I mean, just beginning, you know, at that moment all the way through, I mean, that just – that year had to be so special. It was, man. It was a magical year. It was bittersweet because we were leaving out of the the Metrodome and there were so many – Awesome memories there, but at the same time, we were excited to be moving into a new stadium with new facilities, and uh, it just was a, a new energy around the, the ball club, um, around the city. Uh, I feel like we got way more fans that that normally wouldn't come to a game came out to Target Field, and and so it was like a it was almost like we were an attraction, you know what I mean? And, and so it it was cool. Um, to be a part of that. And then on top of that, we obviously had a great team. So it just was an all-around fun year um, for that inaugural season. Do you remember that first home run? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I believe it, it might have I, – I, I almost believe it, it might have been a change-up that I hit. But it obviously went right uh, right, right inside the, the foul pole down right field line. But, yeah, I remember it uh, vividly. Was that also the season you had the three-triple game? I think so. I think so. Yeah, it was 2010. I believe so. I was against Detroit. All the, you know, all those all those years start to mesh together, man. We're we're getting old now, so we are getting old. I'm 40. Yeah, you're what 36. Yeah, I mean, 36, yeah, we are. We're we are getting old, but yeah, the memory still works a little bit. So yeah, I mean, do you do you remember? I mean, yeah, the opponent. I couldn't remember the opponent. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it was Detroit. Detroit. So yeah, I mean, I guess when I bring that up, I guess what what comes to mind? Those three triples. Yeah, it's, it's funny because the third one. I remember hitting the ball. It was bases loaded, and I hit that ball as about as good as I could, you know, hit hit a ball. And all that whole season was a weird year because it was the first year in that new stadium. All of us as as hitters were used to playing in the dome, where you know when we got a ball, like it, there was no elements, there was no there was no win. So usually when you hit a hit hit the ball a certain way, you knew it was a home run or it wasn't. And that year, you know. It was, you know, a lot of us were like, you know, still trying to get adjusted to, you know, hitting balls really good, but them hitting the wall or, or, you know, us having, you know, settle for a double. And and so anyway, back to that game, I hit the ball and it was bases loaded. And I was like, you know, I I thought it was gone. I'm gonna be honest. And I was like, you know, getting ready to start my trot, you know, my, my, my taste me, my feel me trot around the bases for a grand slam. And I'd already had two triples that day. And so, obviously, the ball hits off the the the, the little berm out there. And I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. So, of course, now, you know, I'm, I get on my horses and I and I get the third base standing up. And I'm pissed off. I'm going to be honest with you because I was like, man, I should have been a home run. And all of a sudden, the fans are giving me a standing ovation. And I'm just like, what the heck? It was like it was a it was a, a longer ovation than normal. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'm on a call here. 
And uh, I'm sorry. And uh, all good. But yeah, so it was a little bit longer ovation than than normal. And so then I look back, and I think I they, they must have posted something on the big screen and and said that I'd hit three triples or whatever, you know. And they made a huge deal about it. But I still even I don't think it really dawned on me that hitting three triples in one game was was a big deal. I guess. I brought up Romo being a unique personality. There were some unique personalities on that 10 team, right? I mean, like Tommy's unique. I mean, yeah. I think about Adelman Young. I think about yeah. Andy Valencia was on that team. Like, yeah. that had to be an interesting clubhouse. Now that you say that, yeah, I didn't think of it. I wasn't thinking um, that closely to everybody. But, I mean, on every ball club, there's unique personalities. We all come from, you know, different backgrounds and have different personalities, and that's what – that's what, to me, what, what, what's so cool about a team is when you have different personalities uh, mixed together, but the, the common goal is, is to win. And just thinking about the, the big home run that Tommy hit, the walk-off home run, on that picture where all of us are standing at home plate, all of us have the same reaction. Obviously, we have different personalities, but we all, you know, was, was stoked to, to win, and, and that was our ultimate goal. Have you been back? I mean – it really the ballpark hasn't changed much over the over the ten years, which I guess is a credit to the job they did. I mean, you see any ranking of ballparks, and and Target Field is always among the top five, top six, top seven. So I think they nailed it then. And then looking, you know, ahead here now, looking back ten years, I just think they did a marvelous job with that ballpark. I do, I do, I agree with you. I think they uh, definitely, um, you know, just made a ballpark. That, that, that I believe is going to, you know, be timeless and, and stand the test of time. Um, unlike, you know, a lot of ballparks, you've seen um, organizations build ballparks, newer ballparks, and then 15 years later, they're tearing them up. See it in Texas, they're doing that. That, that, that ballpark is, is not that old. Um, same thing in Atlanta, you know what I mean? And, and I believe, like you said, the Twins, they did it right. And I, I can see that ballpark being around for another 50 50 years plus probably. I'll hit you with two more. I mean, do you get back here to Minnesota often? Is the wife's family still here? Yeah, her yeah, her family lives in, in St. Cloud still. Uh, we were there last last summer um, for Joe Maurer's reunion or, or, or a, a Jersey retirement, I'm sorry. Felt like a reunion, but uh, his Jersey retirement, that was the last time I've been. And that was and the then, first time I had been back to Target Field since 2012 as well. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, I guess. Although, I, yeah, I Seattle and Tampa, you guys didn't didn't play here? I, from the time I got traded to Tampa, they we hadn't gone yet. And then when I got to Seattle, they had already been to Minnesota. So, I, I, I ended up mi- missing the trip with both teams. Then the weird thing is, the Giants were supposed to be here this year. The Giants are the only team to have never played at Target Field. Really? So, I know, I know when you were in San Francisco, you never came here for – for an interleague series. We played – San Francisco came to us in 17, I believe. So, we ended up playing them. But, yeah, I, I've never – yeah, I never got the opportunity to come back to to uh, Target Field, which I I was hoping that I would get that opportunity in a different uniform just to see how the fans would receive me. But um, it's all good. And that reunion was great. And, and you keep in touch with a lot of those guys, Joe and, and those guys? I, I can't say I keep in contact with them. You know what I mean? Uh you know, baseball is a funny thing. Like, you know, once you go to another team, you, you kind of not, – not that, not that you disassociate, disassociate yourself, but, you know, your schedules are so – you know, you've know you you've been around baseball. Like, you know our schedules are so crazy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one one moment you're on the on this coast, the next day, and 
schedules just conflict. And, and so um, I can't say I keep in contact with a lot of guys. Um, every now and again, uh, you know, I'll be in contact uh, with, with Perkins, but that's like once in a blue moon. Uh, Danny Valencia, I, I still talk to uh, pretty regularly. Drew Butera, um, I talk to. Uh, ben Revere, I talk to. Um, so a, a handful of guys, but not, not on a regular basis, I would say. I'll leave you with this. Tell us about your foundation. I suppose, you know, you're busy with the family, but the foundation's keeping you busy too. It is, man. That, that's, that's, that's definitely where our uh, pride and joy is right now. And it's, uh, my foundation is geared towards single mothers, uh, single mother families. And uh, I grew up in a single mother home. And, and so that it's near and dear to my heart. And uh, right now during the COVID-19, we, we've been raising money to try to give groceries back to these families. And uh, we've, it's been a success and it's just been awesome to see how uh, so many people have come together and, and uh, been able to donate to our cause. And, and um, yeah, but that's, that's definitely keeping us busy right now. That's fantastic. Denard, thank you. I'll let you get back to the family. Stay safe. Heck, stay sane, right? Mental health is, is a big you, deal yeah, right that's, now. That's, 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 big, that's bigger than anything right now. Correct. So thank you for doing this, Denard, and I'll be in touch, okay? Awesome. Take care. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. The one, the only, one of my favorites going back many, many years, Denard Spann. Denard is married to Annie Schlepper. So she played at St. Cloud Cathedral High School, then played for the Gopher women's hockey team. She was a defenseman, helped them win a national championship. So Denard and Annie have two boys, as he mentioned. So he is plenty busy post-baseball career. All right, let's now transition from some fun chatter to some serious talk about social injustice and racism. Let me begin with former Gopher, current New York Giant, the pride of Eden Prairie, Carter Coughlin. Carter, you were at Sunday's protest, I guess. Why Why was it important for you to be there? Um, you know, for me, it's it's it's... It's understanding the state of where America really is. And um, the reality is that, you know, discussions about, and I, I don't care if this offends anybody because this is the reality, discussions about, um, about white supremacy, about racism, about uh, the systemic oppression of African Americans, that, that exists in this country. And that's the reality of it. And so... Um, I mean, you, you look back to when white supremacy began and it started with slavery and it's trickled down in our nation. And right now it, it exists in the form of police brutality. And that's the reality of it. The statistics back it. I don't want to hear any arguments. I don't care if, if people have an issue with me saying that. That's the issue. And that's what we're fighting against. And so, um, you know, I think of it like a, like a football team. Okay. So when Coach Flett came in, Everybody would always ask, you know, are you bought in? When did you buy in? When did the team buy in? America needs to buy in. And it got to the point where on our football team, everybody was bought in. And if you weren't, you stuck out like a sore thumb. And I said that word for word, and you had to get out of the program. The way I see it is America needs to buy in as a whole. And anybody who doesn't agree with what we're standing for, with the reality of, of racism in this country, they need to get out of society because there's no place for it. Racism is evil and it exists. And to me, you know, having my best friends in the world be black, having two black siblings, like that hits home for me. And seeing that 
the, the amount of oppression that actually exists in society that's, that can be so whitewashed for somebody from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, that I didn't come to understand until I, I actually got out and was able to gain perspective and, you know, hang, hang out with guys who grew up completely different than I did. That's when I started to understand. And so the reality is everybody needs to work to gain that perspective. Once you gain that perspective, you have, you have no other desire than to fight against the racism that exists in this country. And so for me, protesting was beautiful. You go out and there's tens of thousands of Minnesotans out there and protesting. But, but with that, there's such a far way to go because I know that there's a lot more than tens of thousands of people in Minnesota. And I get it. Everybody has jobs and not everybody can make it to things like that. But I'm shocked at the amount of people that are hiding behind screens right now. And, you know, when you think about hiding behind screens, you know, I'm not talking about the people that are blatantly racist. I'm talking about the people who are sitting there saying, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable posting something about this. I'm uncomfortable having this kind of discussion. You know, how can you say that you're uncomfortable? You know, you don't, you don't think it's uncomfortable for African Americans to be persecuted in this country, for, for police brutality, for the people that are actually uncomfortable. So you're sitting in your discomfort, afraid to say something. To me, that's BS. And so I want to do everything that I possibly can to voice the reality of America, to voice my opinion and um, and to do anything and everything I can to support the black community. What are some things that you're thinking about moving forward and doing? You know, <laughs> that's, you know, that, that's the thing that's, that's tough. And, and for me, it's, I don't necessarily have to take a, a leadership role in necessarily organizing something, but um, because there's a lot of people who are more qualified than I am, to, to organize things like that. But what I know I can do is be there to support. I know that I can be there to, to, to protest, to, to use my platform that I have on social media in, in the state of Minnesota, wherever else it could be, and voice the reality of America. And so, you know, that's what I'd encourage everybody to do. Um, you know, we talk about on our team that there's no – go for football team, there's no such thing as leading by example. You know, people say, I don't want to be vocal. I want to lead by example. No, being a leader, you're called to be an example. Leaders need to be vocal. And we talked about on our team, everybody needs to be a leader. Everybody in our community that in, in, in America, that believe, in the world, that believes that racism is wrong needs to be a leader. You can't just sit back and answer the question, you know, do you think police brutality is wrong? Yeah, I do. But no, you, you, you need to voice that. You need to have those tough discussions. You need to break out of your comfort zone, and I don't care if you're uncomfortable with it. You need to do everything you can to fight against this. And once we get to that point, that's when, that's when I think the change is going to happen. And I've already had more conversations than I ever have about racism and, and, and you know, white privilege and all that kind of stuff, and I think that that's awesome. But I know the reality is that there's such a long way to go. and um, you know, in order to change someone's thought process, their heart needs to change. And I think a big part of that is God. But I think another part of that is gaining perspective. And, you know, when I think about perspective, that's one of the coolest things that college football has given me besides being able to play football, which I love. Um, you know, being able to, to sit down with, with guys from, 
you know, like Teon from Pompano Beach, Florida, and Keandre Thomas from Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Coney Durr from Louisiana, you know, guys that I would never, ever have, have met before, guys that grew up, grew up completely different than I did, um, all that kind of stuff, and, and you start to, to gain a perspective on, you know, what makes somebody who they are, challenges that they've dealt with that are different than yours. And, you know, going off of perspective, Casey O'Brien, right? You know, the days you didn't want to go play football, you gain that perspective of a kid who would give anything to be there to just do a killer workout at 5 a.m. with his team. That's what perspective looks like. And so, you know, if you're white, the reality is you need to gain perspective because even though you, you'll never, ever understand what it's truly like to feel persecuted against in the way that, that the African-American community has, you can at least gain perspective on, on how, how, how much anger and hurt and sadness that there is. And that starts to change your heart. That makes you feel that, that hurt, that anger, all that stuff. Like I feel for, for my roommates, for the guys on my football team, for the rest of the black community, for my brother and sister, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. I'm preaching a little bit, but this, this gets me, this gets me fired up. And so, um, and so, you know, the, the things that I've said, that that's the reality. And a lot of this is speaking to, to white America because I can speak from that perspective because I am white, you know what I mean? And so I'd encourage everybody to, to, to take some of that into thought, to have those conversations, to try to gain perspective, to, to vocally and actively fight against racism because it exists and because it's so apparent in society. I think once we can get to that point, that that's when we're going to see real change. Ramble all you want, Carter. Preach all you want. I mean, your passion is, is shining through. On, like, I think about it, and you touched on it, but, like, think about some of your gopher locker rooms. Like, how much better of a place would the world be if we all operated like a football locker room or you name the sports locker room where – you're right. I mean, all sorts of different backgrounds, races, for all we know, sexual preference, just all different walks of life, right? And you guys all come together for one common goal, right? It's all love in that locker room. You guys are fighting for one goal. Imagine how much better the world would be if we all operated like you have in, in any number of locker rooms you've been in. No, seriously, that's that's such a great point. And it's it's so true. You know, you, you, you look at the things that, that – that America spends all its time fighting itself against things like racism and political affiliation and religion, all this stuff that for some reason separates us, right. And, and stops us from fighting injustice, stops us from, from fighting real world problems. And, you know, you, for, for me, I look at Mohammed Ibrahim and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like the way that he lives out his faith is incredible to me. And he's Muslim. You know what I mean? And you go through it throughout history, Christians and Muslims throughout history. There's been so much turmoil, whatever. None of that matters on, on a football team. I look at him and I'm like, man, he's in, in the middle of fall camp. He's, he's fasting because that's what he believes in. What am I doing with my faith? What, what am I doing with what I believe that God's calling me to do? Then you go, and then you go throughout everything. None of that stuff matters in a football locker room. It's, it's, uniting under a common goal and looking at the guy next to you who's your brother who you would sacrifice anything for on and off the field and accomplishing that goal together you fight together you cry together you laugh together you love together all that kind of stuff and and that's why i think it's so true that that the world could use so much of that because i think we spend so much time fighting 
against ourselves that we don't that we're not able to go out and tackle real world issues like racism. You touched on your brother and sister. What what have the conversations been like the last couple of days with them? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's been a lot of a lot of tears and uh, in the household. Just um, you know, especially my my parents just just hurting and all that kind of stuff. And um, but the reality is, you know, it's it's beautiful because that my my siblings are from Haiti. They have a, a different birth mom and dad, but that's that. Those are my little. That's my little brother and sister, and that's why I know that the reality is that that love wins. Okay, because love love overcomes hate, and and I, I don't care that you know that they're from Haiti, whatever. Like that's that's my little brother and sister. It doesn't matter that they've got more melanin than I do. Like like none of that stuff matters. That's my brother and sister, and so that's why I know that 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 the world. Once you gain perspective, once you once you start to understand all like all the injustice, all everything that's going on, you understand what the black community is going through. That's when that's when love takes away everything else. So you know what I'm saying, and and unites people. And and you know, in, in this household, it's it's been cool for us to talk about as a family. You know, how do we want to do this? You know, what does it look like? And my little brother was just at the protest today. My sister. Um, went down to the, the memorial uh, two days ago. And um, so it's, it's been cool to, to, to see my family step up individually and together and, and have those discussions and, and, and pray about it and all that kind of stuff and heard about it together as a family. Um, but it's, it, it's not a discussion that, that existed that much in my family before because to us, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong to say that you're colorblind because the world's not colorblind, but in my family, I'm colorblind. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's my little brother and sister. Nothing doesn't matter that they've got curlier hair than I do or, or that they're darker skin than I am. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it, that, those conversations didn't exist, but there was always the sensitivity to the, to, to racial injustice specifically just because of that. And so this has been one of those things where we've had, some unbelievable discussions as a family and, and, and talk through it and processed it. And, um, and that, and that's been really cool. But I think that that's a huge point about all this too, is to have those discussions, to seek out those discussions to, and to not fight away from those discussions. How powerful are some of the images you've seen? I mean, not just what you experienced on Sunday with, what was it? Five to 10,000 people, if not more on 35W there, but, like I just saw some images from Amsterdam today, and oh by yeah. the way, we're we're still in a pandemic, right? Yeah. But but racism is also a pandemic, right? And just what has stood out as you've watched TV coverage of or or seen social media posts the last handful of days, what what has stood out to you? Because I'm telling you, to me, what I saw from Amsterdam, thousands upon thousands of miles away across the ocean, that was as powerful as anything I've seen. It was thousands of people. You know what I think what I think so beautiful about this is the is the unity that's that's occurring in all of this. And um and like I said, there's a long way to go, but you look throughout the entire country, throughout the world, and people are fighting against the the reality of racism racism. And it's it's so cool to see the way that social media, which you know it has its pluses and minuses for sure, 
but has played such a big part in in overcoming and fighting against um, you know the the lack of communication and, and lack of unity around the world. Like you know it it, it went from you know starting in in Minnesota and it's gone throughout the country because everybody recognizes how wrong it is. Everybody that that is fighting against it recognizes how wrong it is and it sparks up all everything. And then around the country, because so many people recognize how wrong it is. And so that's what I think has been so cool is seeing the way that, that people have come together, people have come together to support. Um, but like I said, there's, there's still, so many people who have not been vocal, who have not been fighting against it, even if they, they think it's wrong. And so, um, so that, you know, saying that there's, there's still a long way to go. And that, and, but it, but it's cool to see the, the way that, that people have stepped up, I think. Um, but like I said, man, I'm, I'm calling more people to step up. I'm calling everybody to step up. Who are some of the people that, that you've talked to? I mean, who are the people that, that you lean on right now for whether it's just, you know, a shoulder to lean on, cry on, or, or friends that you have that, that you went to high school with, that you went to elementary school with, that, that you just want to be somebody that if they need somebody to talk to, you're there for them. To be completely honest with you, and I, this is, this is just the reality of it. It's, it's been so many different people to me. It's been, it's been the D line group chat that, that I'm still in from the guys who, you know, I played at Minnesota with that have been sending stuff in that have been challenging guys like Micah do and, and Winston and stuff that have been challenging the white guys to step up and to be vocal. It's, it's awesome. And, you know, talking with my roommates, you know, let's, let's go protest today. You know, let's, let's go there together. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Do you guys want to do this? Do you want to do that? How else can we support? It's talking to my family, all that kind of stuff. And, and then on top of all the, the different social media that, that you know, when, when you speak out, when you voice that and, and you get the appreciation and you know that it's, it's not falling on deaf ears and people are saying, like, this means a lot. It's all that kind of support that's, that encompasses kind of what you and I were talking about that's, that's beautiful to see is, is the amount of people that, that are unified in this. It is beautiful, but you're also right. I mean, we still have such a long way to go. I mean, just how much... How much hope do you have that, that all these meaningful conversations so many of us are having right now, that these conversations turn into real action, that this spurs real action? Because, frankly, Carter, and you know this, we've had these conversations going back any number of years, right? And these issues have been around for hundreds of years, right? So what sort of hope do you have that, that finally meaningful action can take place? Yeah, you know... You, you hit on it and um you know i think it's one of those things where there's there's still people who are like oh man not again like that's oh not again but yeah again and again and again and again and again and and it's it's the exact same story with a different man different man at the headline and 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 it's 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 disparaging but at the same time if you don't fight against it nothing's going to change and so I have hope that it's going to change. It's, it's not, it's not going to be a flip the switch change, but every single thing you do, every conversation you have, you don't know who that's going to touch that could, that could trigger them to have that conversation with someone else that could trigger someone else. And, 
and it's 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 one of those things you light a match and and you watch it and you and you build a bonfire you know what i'm saying and it's it's one of those things where you know i i recognize how how much further we have to go as a country as a society as a world and it hurts but but the fight the the way that people are coming together i believe that it's it, it's gonna it's gonna at least change a little bit and that little bit can turn into a lot of it and the and the more conversations the more th- things that you can do to to support this cause whether it's give money or 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 be vocal all those anything that you can do and if you don't know what to do research it reach out to people because there's so much you can do but but i think that every little thing you do has has an effect and it's a domino effect and so i have hope that the world's going to change and i don't know when but i know that i'm going to continue to fight until it does and i pray and i hope that the that the rest of the world will too I'm right there with you. Powerful words, Carter. I hope your words, you know, if, if one person watching this or listening to this eventually needed that, you know, swift kick in their behind, I hope you delivered it to them because I'm telling you, Carter, powerful, powerful stuff. Thank you. Absolutely. Carter's parents should be incredibly proud. His dad is Bob, the former gopher. That was former gopher and current New York giant, Carter Coughlin. That was my conversation with Carter last week. So he was at the protest on 35W two Sundays ago. Finally, it's Packers guard Billy Turner, the Shoreview native, Moundsview High School star, went on to college, played in North Dakota State. He's traveled around the NFL a little bit, signed a nice deal a year ago with the Packers, started every game for the Packers this past season. I caught up with Billy on the day that Drew Brees apologized for his comments here is my conversation with billy turner start with a tweet i just saw from from your organization the packers they are donating five hundred thousand dollars to combat social injustice to combat racism when when you heard that just how grateful are you to play for an organization that, that is stepping forward like this you know it's uh it's special. It's special when you're able to be a part of certain teams, certain organizations. It doesn't matter what walk of life that you come from. It doesn't matter what race or nationality you are because we are all the same. We're all humans. So to see the organization, the team that I'm a part of, do something like that, it means a lot to me because it says that we're on the same team. We're allies. Your issues are my issues. If you have issues, I'm here to fight and to stand up against those issues with you. Drew Brees' comments, you were outspoken on on social media. He has since apologized. Now, Billy, who knows? Did he hire a PR firm to write that apology? How genuine is that apology? But a number of his teammates have now – gone to bat for him saying we do feel like he's being genuine we accept his apology I guess do you accept Drew Brees's apology you know I uh I don't personally know Drew Brees similarities that we have is we're both a part of the shield that is the NFL with the situation at hand that is a pandemic a racial pandemic that has been in existence in this country for 400 plus years. 
to say something like that in regards to a peaceful protest that caused no harm, that was never meant to disrespect anything that he stood for and has been very, very vividly explained time and time again, not only by Colin Kaepernick, but other people that chose to kneel for the national anthem as a protest. You know, uh, I've said it a couple times now, but that is just a little bit ignorant to me. And I don't think Drew Brees is a bad guy. I don't think Drew Brees is a racist. I do not. I just think that like a lot of people in this world, Drew Brees said something and truly did not think about what he was saying completely. He did not think about his teammates and the guys that are in that locker room and the guys that he has shared that locker room with for the past 20 some years. So with that being said, there is bits and pieces of, you know, what Drew Brees said that I agree with. And I explained that in my statement that I made today on social media. I too have had grandfathers who have fought for this country, but for a very different reason. I respect our country. I respect our flag. But I also respect Black America and my culture. And I do not respect people that disrespect me as a person, disrespect my culture, because I am no different than you just because my skin is a different color. You know, so with that being said, I have not read Drew Brees' apology yet. I will get to it. I've been doing, you know, interviews and working out, et cetera, today. So I will read it. And, you know, who I am as a person and a lot of what I believe in is trying to promote and to give positive energy and positivity into the world. That's like, that's what I like to project, you know, and a big part of that is forgiveness. And when it comes to forgiveness, you know, something that I saw last year when um, I think it was a young lady that was killed down in Texas. She was shot in her apartment and I don't know if it was her brother, if it was her son or who it was in the courtroom during the trial, went up to the person that shot her and basically said, you know what, verbatim, or, or kind of what he said was, I don't agree with what you did, you know, but I do forgive you. That was, that was a changing moment for me because right then and there, I understood that there's going to be a lot more negative things that happen in this world, specifically in this country, when it comes to racism, when it comes to police brutality. Not that everyone has to forgive people for what is happening in our country, but at the same time, when it's something like this, like what Drew Brees said, that there is a sense of forgiveness that I think you can come to realize and come to, you know, maybe grow upon you. But with that being said, I really do think that there is going to be a, a light stain, if you may, that is going to stick with him for the rest of his career based off of those comments that he made. I agree. I remember what, what you're referring to. It was, it was the Dallas area. I believe it was a female police officer ended up killing an African-American male. It was the yep. brother, yep. and they ended up hugging in the courtroom. Yep, that's it. Yep, you're exactly he asked right. her exactly if, if they could hug. Yep. And I guess that would be a message, right, that, that, that let's all come together, that, that love should overpower hate. 
it really, it really truly should. It should. What are some other things we can do moving forward to enact change? I mean, it's great what the Packers did. I think anybody, any of us that, that can donate time, money, I mean, I'm thinking just a lot of us can become better listeners, but what are some ideas that, that you have as, as many of us, you know, as we push forward and try to enact change, what we can do? You know, that's a, that's a great question. The easy, easy thing to do for a lot of people is to donate money if they have money. The hard thing to do is to donate time. So with that being said, there's a lot of peaceful protests that are going on out there, you know, but in a situation like this, with this racial pandemic stacked on top of this coronavirus pandemic, it is hard to go out there and to give your time, you know, without risking being compromised from this illness that is coronavirus. So it's a unique situation that we are in, yes, you know, there's plenty of ways for people who have a bigger platform to obviously implement their thoughts and their words and their voices and to be heard that way, you know, but this situation is going to be fixed by everyone coming together. Not only black America, not only white America, all races, all nationalities need to come together to fix this issue. With that being said, when I sit and I think about my life and the things that I have interest in, whether it be art and creation, I think about how my mind works to come up with a creative and a unique idea that not only I like, but the people around me like and the people can get behind. It's no different with this issue. Everyone can do their part and come up with a creative and a unique way that only you can do and that only you can come up with and create to help fight this issue. And that is going to be completely different for everyone, but you do have to donate the time to have that done and to make that happen. How grateful are you that you do have a platform that, that people will listen to you? I'm very grateful of that. You know, I'm, I've been blessed to, uh, to be playing a professional sport as long as I have. Hopefully I have many more years, you know, but the, the important thing right now is that I use this platform not only to my advantage, but to the advantage of the human race to help change this issue. So more people do not have to lose their lives, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, their nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents, etc. I'll let you go after this. I don't know if you and, and the punter overlapped at North Dakota State, Ben, and I forget his last name, but he sent you a tweet. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the tweet directly in front of me, but it was along the lines, Billy, of thank you for taking a leadership role. Thank you for helping educate many that, that need the education. So when you see messages like that, how does that make you feel? Uh, his name was uh, Ben LeCompte. He's from the Chicago area, and he was – uh, the punter at NDSU for four or five years, and he did overlap with me, yeah. But he's a, he's a good dude. He was a great teammate of mine. And, you know, to see that message and to see that some of the things that I have not only said today, but some of the things that I have said in the future in regards to using my platform have sparked change in him and have, you know, allowed him to notice some things and to maybe help some other people out. And that's kind of how this thing works. It's like a domino effect. You use your platform, you reach out to people, you say certain things, you don't know necessarily who it reaches and who it, you know, could potentially touch in a certain way. But 
the idea is that one person sees it, you know, it, it makes sense to them and it, they, it sparks change in them and they want to do the same thing for other people. You know, that is how movements are created and, and how this entire process needs to happen in regards to the social media platform. So it, it meant a lot. And that's why I retweeted it, because it was someone, you know, that is an acquaintance of mine that I do know and that I have been around and been in locker room situations with. And he is a great person. So I felt like that should be you know, known and seen out there that using your platform is making a difference. Billy, thank you for doing this. Let's certainly stay in touch on this. OK, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Okay, stay safe, okay? Thank you, man. You too. Okay, thanks, Billy. Yep, bye-bye. Packers guard Billy Turner. Sincere apologies if the background noise at different points during that conversation was frankly just too loud. That was a spur-of-the-moment conversation that I had with Billy on, I guess it would have been, what, Friday afternoon. And, heck, I'll rip my own newsroom. I mean, our newsroom on the TV side, on the Channel 5 side, is just horribly constructed to have either a cell phone conversation or a Zoom conversation. Now, if I had a little bit more time, Billy was in between some things, so his time was limited. If I had more time, I could have gone to a different portion of the building, but it would have taken many minutes. I only went 10 minutes there with Billy because his time was limited. So it was one of those deals where I was at my desk in the sports office, but for whatever reason, that particular day, at that particular time, there were a bunch of loud voices in the vicinity. So I'm upset that some of those voices bled into that conversation. But I think, I hope that Billy's words were able to be heard because he has some powerful words when it comes to everything going on in our country right now. All right. Thank you for listening. If you made it through all just about 90 minutes, I love you. If you listened to just a portion of this podcast, I still love you. If you have time, this podcast can use some updated feedback in terms of ratings on on apple if it's good bad and different we just we need some fresh rankings a lot of the rankings go back to 2016 we have like a hundred of them but many of them are years old so if you have some feedback to offer if you can give a star rating on the apple podcast page for the scoop podcast it would be greatly greatly appreciated have a wonderful week everyone stay safe stay sane this has been scoop podcast episode 300 He knows you once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down in the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. Did you know you're more likely to stick to a fitness routine if you enjoy it? That's why Peloton classes are designed to be fun. From cycling to yoga to running to strength training, whatever your fitness level, Peloton instructors don't just teach, they motivate. No wonder our research in March 2022 found that 70% of Peloton members work out more than they did before joining. Try the Peloton bike or tread risk-free for 30 days. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. Peloton, motivation that moves you. New members only, terms apply.